Well, after the communion and the offering, I think we're all ready to go home. So you guys have a great day. Just kidding. Should I speak in Espanol for Cinco de Mayo? Remember, estoy aprendiendo. Paciente, por favor. Buenas tardes, iglesia. Feliz de Cinco de Mayo. Adoramos hoy. Ahora. El fin español. <laughs> that was my best that I could do. I'm still learning. It's getting better, okay? I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, well, guys, I am very grateful that I get to, uh, uh, to preach this afternoon. As, as Darren shared in the welcome, we're kicking off a new series, a new eight-week series. We're going to be preaching about grace. There it is, right behind me. And uh, like, like you shared... This is an incredibly deep and rich subject for us to talk about in church. Uh, it's such an important thing for us to grab onto and have conviction and understanding about. It's one of the most significant pillars of the New Testament. Paul himself preached about it. The, he used the word grace in his letters over a hundred times. And you know what? I have a pretty tough job with this today. Because I'm trying to help us wade into the waters of grace to... to get into some of the depths of this without going too far into it because we've got so many great sermons that we're going to be doing on this. So I'm trying to be deep about grace, but not give too much away about what's coming. Uh, and I'm really tired because we got back from prom at like 1 o'clock in the morning last night. So please pray for me. Point, do everybody do this. Take your index finger, point it up at the sky, point it at me. Say, God be with that man. Okay, there we go. All right, today our sermon and our series is titled, Strong in the Grace. I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to jump into this. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to, uh, to be together and to hear your word. So grateful to even hear Vicki be able to share her story and her heart and, and her struggles with wrestling through her relationship with you, Father. I know that every single one of us really is, is wrestling with you in our own ways. And I pray right now that as we, as we go into the depths of, uh, of, of grace, that you'll really just... Prepare our hearts and minds for what we're going to be talking about here today. I pray that you really speak powerfully through me, uh, that, that, that this topic would be something that is ingrained into our hearts and such a deep part of our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our sermon series is coming out of a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 2. So as it says there, it says, So you, my child, be strong in the grace. That is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. This is the last letter that Paul wrote before he was martyred. Depending on the timeline, it's somewhere between six months to a year before he was killed. And Timothy, who he's writing to, is a church leader, is his friend. You know, the the older NIV version says, says, my son in the faith. They have a long history together. And this is essentially, if you want to look at it this way, the second Timothy is kind of like Paul's farewell letter. You imagine if you knew you were close to the end of your life, the kind of things you would want to share with people. Probably wouldn't be meaningless. Probably wouldn't be superficial. It'd probably be some pretty important things about what you've learned about life and your relationship with God, right? And so this, this, this letter, this statement, is, it's carrying through his years of wisdom and experience as a disciple and a church leader. And what he tells Timothy is that you've got to be strong in grace. To be solid, to be filled, to be confident. 
in grace. And this leads, this begs the question, why grace? If this is Paul's last letter and he's trying to get Timothy ready for what life is going to be like without him, why does he be strong in grace? Why not, why not faith, hope, and love? You know, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, oh, everything else falls apart, but faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love. Why not say, be strong in love, Timothy? There's something about grace that he knows we need to, be, we need to grasp as he's preparing to leave earth. And I want to explore this for a moment. Darren already kind of did this, but how many of us, I want you to raise your hand, how many of us who are disciples know that you've been saved by grace? Okay, that's, that's pretty much everybody here. How many of us know that we need grace? Okay, how many of us knows that grace needs to be at the center of our lives? Okay, how many of us feel like we really understand it? <laughs> you, get a, you start thinking through it a little bit more, right? You don't want to be that person. Is this, is this like a Moses? I'm being the humble person in the world. Um, how many of you feel like, man, I can really explain the depths of grace to others? So think about this. This thing that is such a pillar of our faith, such an important part of our relationship with God, something that Paul spent over a hundred times mentioning in his letters, and yet if we know it's that significant... We're missing something here. There's, there, there's, there, there's things about grace that we don't really grasp with this. And I'm just going to tell you, this is, if, if, if I could limit down, distill probably a couple things in my life and my relationship with God that I have the hardest time wrestling with, grace is probably up in the top three. Maybe number one. I've had multiple people in my life, very spiritual people say, you have a problem with grace. Our brother John Mantle, who was out here years ago, one time in a D time, he said, look, I don't recommend people read Max Lucado books very often, but you need to read some Max Lucado books. Because your concept of grace is completely out of whack. You need to spend some more time digging through this with God. And uh, several years ago, I had this, this crazy health scare that happened, and my intestines and my stomach were swollen four times their normal size. I was going through all these crazy things. And what was even revealed from my doctors was like, okay, my, my stress level, the way I'm internalizing things is, is wrong. I'm killing myself physically. Really, at the core of it, what was revealed was because I don't have a good concept of grace. I take on things that aren't my responsibility. I don't trust in God's grace. And so I was low-key rebuked by, a, by a, a gastroenterologist basically saying, look, you've got to figure out a better, healthy way to deal with your life or it's going to kill you. Or you need to quit. You can't be a minister anymore. So when I say that we're wrestling to understand this, I'm right in there with you. And today, I'm going to attempt to define what grace is and also what it isn't, biblically. And to start to really open the eyes of our hearts. I'm just trying to crack the door open a little bit for us. To really start grasping this thing that Paul says, man, at the end of my life, you know you need to be strong in? Grace. As a church leader, you need to be strong in? Grace. As a disciple of Jesus, you know what you need to be strong in? Grace. As a parent, husband, whatever you are, Grace. 
That's what's going on here. So let's talk about what grace is for a second. The, uh, the, the churchy definition, if you will, the, the super boiled down definition gets brought up a lot. There's pictures of it all over the place. You've probably seen it. The unmerited, undeserved, and unearned kindness and favor of God. Just kind of drink that in for a second. The unearned, unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor of God. This is the, the abbreviated uh, preacher definition of grace that gets used a lot. And, you know, and later on, as, we, as I get into the sermon here, I'm going to dive into some of these concepts a little bit, the, the undeserved, unmerited side. Um, but what this really means, and you need to really feel and be encouraged by, is that God likes you. Amen? Amen. God likes you. He feels great things about you and towards you, even though you don't deserve it. And this is a little bit different than love. When we talk about grace, it oftentimes gets confused with love. That's not what it means. It means that God, that God favors. He likes you. You know, it's kind of like how you can love your children and your spouse, but you don't always like them. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I love my children to death, but there are times I'm just like, ah. It's hard to be around you right now. I don't really favor you at this moment. Like, it's easy to know that God loves us, right? We've probably all been saying that our whole lives. God loves you. God loves you. But it's another thing to think about how much God likes you. The difference in the comparison that I brought up is that God isn't limited like we are. He's not petty like we are. Or humanistic like we are. But I want to move away from this for a second because I also want to talk about what grace isn't. Because kind of like it's not love, it's also not any of these things either. Grace is not mercy. It is not forgiveness. It is not patience. It is not sacrifice. It is not salvation. We oftentimes substitute the word grace for something like that. But that's, in, that, that's, that's not the right understanding of what grace really is biblically. It's inaccurate. These things are not grace or even qualities of grace necessarily. What it is is really that these things are things that we get to experience from God because of grace. Does that make sense? There's a difference. These things are not grace. They're not aspects or elements of grace. It is because we have God's favor and God's kindness we get to experience His mercy, forgiveness, patience, sacrifice, and salvation. Are we clear on that? That really, it's only because God likes you and favors you that He gives you mercy. It's because God likes you and favors you, He offers you forgiveness. And so again, think of how clutch, how important these words are to our lives and our relationship with God. And the umbrella of all of it is if you don't have grace, you don't have any of these things. But we can't confuse these. If we're really going to get to the depth of understanding of how God wants us to see grace, we can't confuse what it is and what it isn't. In Ephesians 2.8, a scripture I'm sure we're all pretty familiar with, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, 
through faith, and this is not from yourselves, but is a gift from God. When Paul writes that we are saved by grace through faith, he's saying that we're saved because of God's favor and love. So even think about that. If you said, if, I see, if we're meaning grace to be salvation, he's saying, for it is by salvation you have been saved. That doesn't make any sense. It is by God's favor, by God's kindness, you have been saved. Through faith. He is merciful and forgiving because He favors you and likes you. Not the other way around. So to really start to grasp this, though, we've got to go to Jesus. Amen? Thank God He gives us Jesus. And let me just say, we're going to be bouncing around a lot. I've got a lot of scriptures to talk about. Grace is a very deep topic, so there's not like one scripture we can just hone in on here. All right? So just take some good notes. I'll have the scriptures up on the board. Here, John 1, verse 14 and 16. This is the ESV version. And what it reads here is it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the, as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. From His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is a powerful thing. This is how John starts his book. He does the whole Genesis thing, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And then he carries that on to talk about how Jesus coming down to earth is basically the embodiment of grace and truth. We get to understand God's kindness and favor towards us just by pointing to who Jesus is. Other, and, uh, through him, but also, and this is the other side of it too, verse 16, it says, From his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. I don't even know that I totally understand what that means. Other versions, the way it describes it, is, is it says, We get one gracious gift after another. That because of Jesus, we get to experience God's kindness in the salvation picture that we're going to get to. But also, every single day we get to experience grace and grace and grace and then some more grace and then more grace. This is the relationship with God, people. How often do you think about that? Or let that sink into your heart. As a leader, there's even kind of this, this thing that gets talked about. I've, I've read some different sermons where I feel like if we, if we talk about grace too much, then we're going to get away from the duty side of things. And we're, we won't be dutiful disciples. How much more dutiful disciples will we be if we understand that God likes you, and He likes you a lot, and He keeps liking you, and He keeps giving you grace? Yeah. And this is such a cool concept, guys. As I studied this, and, I, and I've, I've read so many books on grace, I've studied this biblically over and over and over again, but there were some things that God, I think, really, really used to help me out and really show me through all this. When the Bible uses the word grace, you know I'm, gonna, you know I'm preaching if the, if the Greek words show up. I'm probably not preaching if the Greek doesn't show up. Um, but the Greek word for grace, as it shows up, is this word haris. Har, no, haris. Sorry, haris. Sorry. Yeah, charis, charis, whatever you want to say. Um, and it's actually a root of a lot of different words that we use in English. Charity comes from haris. Charisma comes from haris. 
Charm comes from haris. But to understand these things, we have to understand how it was actually used culturally. I'm not going to show you the Greek definition and stuff. It's more important for us to understand. This, this is a word that when the New Testament writers were using it, was something that was it, it was, it was a cultural thing that was already going on. The New Testament writers used this word because it was something that they experienced in their society on a regular basis. And what haris is, is it describes a benevolent gift that's given from a superior to an inferior. So if you had a lot of money or if you were in a, in a good state and you knew somebody was, was having a rough time in life or they weren't, they weren't very rich, you as, you as the rich benefactor would, would display haris by giving a gift, an undeserved gift, to somebody that was, that was considered an inferior. Not, you know, not in value, but you, you get what I'm saying there. And you can also see from this where we get the word charity from. But what's interesting about this is that haris, as it was known in the first century, was something that involved three people. So you had the first one, which was the patron. That was the person that was providing the gift, providing the means. You had the client, and these are, this is just the best interpretation from Greek that we've got. Now these words don't sound very spiritual when you say patron and client. Um, the client is the one that was receiving the gift. And then you got this third person called the broker. And the broker's job is to go into the community to see the needs of the inferior. So you would go out, look for people that were in need, and bring them to patrons. But the other thing about this that's really interesting, this is the powerful part in this, is that the broker is actually the one who purchases the gift. So what that means is the patron is the one that supplies the means, they, they have the thing, but the broker would then go out, find the client, and then pay for the gift to give to the client. Now this doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense on some levels, right? It actually does when you think of some ways that charity works. But, so this is the kind of thing, when the word grace would show up in the Bible, a New Testament person, a first century person, would be thinking about. They'd be thinking about these three people and this act, this gift that was given. So with this in mind, we're going to look at 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What this scripture just paints for us is haris. God is our patron. Wanting to give gifts to his children. So he sends his son to be a broker who would pay for our gift of new life through sacrifice. So that we, the clients, could experience God for eternity. 
This is powerful stuff, guys. Consider that for a moment. So we tend to think, you know, think of how grace gets used in our culture and in our society. It's this kind of ooey-gooey, sing a song about it kind of thing. But what it actually would have implied to somebody that was reading this for the first time is they would be thinking about somebody that would be willing to sacrifice something for somebody else. Somebody that would pay somebody else to give a gift to somebody that didn't deserve it. And what John is telling us is that broker, that person that, that paid for you was Jesus. He gave you, an undeserving person, the chance of new life with his own. <laughs> his voice does sound a little bit more epic than mine is. <laughs> Bevel, Bev will figure it out. You got some help? <laughs> But what's powerful about this, guys, I'm just going to keep on trucking through. We'll, we'll be all right. Is what this is communicating to us is that we are not here because we've earned this. You have not earned the right to sit in this room today. Nothing about you and your inferior state deserves anything from God. We are only here because God loved us before we could ever love Him by giving us charis in Jesus. This isn't just something that we experience one time at salvation either. This wasn't, this wasn't something that was sealed when you got baptized as a disciple of Jesus. Grace is not a one-and-done experience. It's a continual pouring out from our Father. In Romans 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with us, with Him, graciously give us all things? When Paul writes this, he's writing to a church. A church struggling with their faith. A church that was wrestling with, with where God was in the midst of their life. And he's saying, look, if, if God would send Jesus, and earlier on in Romans 5, he talks about while we were still enemies. If he would send Jesus while you were not just an inferior, but an enemy, then how much more, if you're living as a disciple of Jesus, if you're washed in his blood, will he not graciously, haris, give you all things? Do you know what that is? That's John 1 when he says he's going to give you grace upon grace. This is an incredibly deep thing for us to wrap our minds and hearts around, guys. That God brokered Jesus for you. Before we ever had a say in it, before we could have ever done anything to express anything to God. There is no good deed that you have ever done to earn that. God is going to continue 
to give grace to his people. But the final thing that we need to understand in this, and this is honestly, this is something that modern Christianity really gets messed up. Is that grace is not unconditional. It's free. It's a gift. It's unmerited. But it does come with a condition. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. What this implies is that means that God can show you kindness and you treat it with disrespect. You treat it without the love and consideration that God intended. Grace by its, by its own nature means that we didn't deserve it. So it's not like you were just so spiritual and then you showed up. But he's saying if you know you've been given grace, then there's something you're supposed to do with it. God doesn't give us grace and then say, do whatever you want with it. He didn't sacrifice Jesus. If he was willing to sacrifice his own son, do you think he would sacrifice Jesus so we could continue to be selfish and sinful? Yeah, I'll send my most treasured possession, my own son, to die for you so you can experience my kindness and favor and then go off and do whatever you want. Just live life for you. Saying, well, at least I got grace. Sorry, I lost my place. I've got to find this. <laughs> Pregnant pause. Point. In the Greek understanding of charis, there was one last piece to the puzzle. The client that was given this gift was expected to respond with something called pistis. Pistis meant that as a result of the gift, you would give gratitude, loyalty, and faithfulness to your patron. Pistis is actually the root word. That's where we get the word faith in the New Testament. The word faith comes from pistis. And what that means is that God's condition to accepting the gift that Jesus paid for is faithfulness. A life of devotion, of loyalty, of commitment to Jesus. That if he was willing to pay such a high price for us, then his desire is, man, I want you to give your life to me. There's a final scripture I want to bring up with this. And again, my goal is not to dive into the depths of this so that you leave here having a full comprehension of grace. My goal is to get you excited about what you stand to learn from the Bible about grace in the upcoming weeks. In Galatians 2, 20-21. Bless you. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now I live in the bo- the life I live I now live in the body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law 
Christ died for nothing. What Paul is saying here is that the effect of grace on his life meant that his life was not his own anymore. He surrendered and sacrificed himself to live by pistis in the Son of God. Devotion, loyalty, I am yours completely. And Paul's attitude is the one that we're supposed to adopt. That if somebody would be willing to sacrifice their life for you, do you think they would give their life for you so that you could live it in mediocrity? If somebody stood in front of a terrorist with a bullet, laid down their life for you, do you think they would be wanting you to sit at home watching Netflix for hours on end? That's what Paul's trying to stir in our hearts. Saying, look, Jesus didn't die for you to live for yourself anymore. You've been given favor and kindness and love. So give it to God. If Jesus loved you enough to give himself as a ransom for you to have a new life, then the question that we need to ask ourselves is what should our lives look like? If we really are grabbing hold of the power and the significance of grace in our lives, then every single day it should beg the question, man, if God has been giving me kindness, favor, every day of my life, and you know what? For the people that aren't disciples in this room, that's you too. That yes, you experience it as a disciple, but I guarantee you if you look at your life, you can see God's favor and kindness throughout your life. And if he gives you that kind of kindness, then what does my life need to look like? Does my life reflect the life of the kindness of God? Should it be like everyone else at school or work? Should it be like your neighbors? And his wording here is powerful. What he says here is he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. And I think this phrase, when he says this, not setting aside the grace of God, I think it has double meaning. Now, this is my interpretation, so don't quote this as, as biblical, necessarily. But it could be. Holy Spirit, let's see. I think the first thing he's saying here is I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven. He's not saying, God has sacrificed Jesus. He's given me the kindness of the cross. So that means now I earn my way to heaven and I just do a bunch of good deeds till I get there. Which as Darren brought up in the welcome, that's how we can be sometimes. Let me just make sure that I'm checking all the boxes. Let me make sure that my life, that my life outbalances, the good deeds outbalance the bad ones. And then God will be happy. He's been giving you kindness and favor before you ever started doing that. That's not how it works. Paul knows his good deeds aren't good enough. But on the other hand, I think the other meaning of that phrase, do not set aside the grace of God, is I think he's saying, 
I won't let the grace of God mean nothing in my life. I cannot let the sacrifice of Jesus not change everything about me. I refuse to acknowledge that God sent His Son to die for me and then sit here and do nothing about it. I will live a life of faith. I will live a life of peace, being loyal and committed and devoted to my Father that continues to pour out this kindness on me. This is what we're chasing every single day of our lives. Not through good deeds, but like if you love your spouse, If I love my spouse, if I recognize I'm not married to my wife, Kelsey, because I deserve her. I am married to my wife out of an unmerited, undeserved favor and devotion. Have you looked at me lately? Ain't a lot going on over here. I'm here by grace. Hers. But if I recognize that I've done that, you know what? I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to fold the laundry. I'm going to take care of my kids. You know why? I've been given grace. I'm not doing the dishes to stay married. I'm doing the dishes because I'm married. That's what God is saying for our relationship with Him. You are here by grace. So being a disciple, denying yourself daily, Sharing your faith with other people. Serving, loving, doing all those things. That's not, be, that's not to earn grace. That's because of grace. And we're going to get to explore so many more things. I'm so excited for some of the sermons we got coming up. Even next week with Mother's Day. We're going to talk about grace and forgiveness. But I want to encourage you. If you're new here, you're still trying to figure out some things at the beginning of your relationship with God. Study the Bible. This thing that God offers you, it's too important. It's too crazy. It doesn't make sense to miss out on. And if you are a disciple, don't set aside the grace of God. Let's be strong in it instead. Amen. I love you guys.